if I were to allow myself to live in this dark place of, I have this disease and there's a pre-designated path for my life now, in theory, by the way, that ultimately things aren't going to look the way that maybe I previously wanted them to look. If I allowed myself to live in that space, I would be a pretty miserable human being. And so for me, it's almost like there's just not even an option, even on the bad days or even when things are tough, looking at things and saying, there's something I'm going to be able to take from this and improve myself and my life because of this. That becomes the goal for me. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Would you consider yourself optimistic? Optimistic about the future? Your life? Optimistic about your present circumstances? Optimists see the positive side of things. They expect things to turn out well. They actually believe, and I think that's pretty key, okay? They actually believe that they have the skill and ability to make good things happen. According to the online magazine, Everyday Power, there are five qualities of optimistic people. So let's run them through. Number one, they are self-motivated. They see just about everything as an opportunity rather than a problem. I can get down with that for sure. Number two, they surround themselves with other positive people. Why? Because the energy emote is contagious. And I really think that when you surround yourself with the people that are going to breathe the energy that you want, that makes you feel that positive energy even more. And sometimes we have to eliminate that negative energy from our lives in order to get to the good stuff. Number three, they believe in possibility. So they don't listen to naysayers. I don't want to hear that junk. My grandmother always used to say to me, we would do projects together all the time, like quilting or crafts. And I'd say, Graham, I can't do this. And she would say, don't say that, Edie, you can. And I hear that over and over again when I'm facing a challenge. Number four, they are happy and joyful because their perspective is coming from the brighter side of life. So guess what? Other people want to be around them. And definitely last but not least, number five, these optimistic humans express gratitude. They value lessons learned and they acknowledge the fact that they cannot change a situation, but they can change themselves. When optimistic people stumble across a problem, they don't feel bad because they are grateful for the things that they have rather than feeling not enough for the things that they don't have. 
So we need to have this optimistic outlook for sure. I think that that's important in order to get what we need in life, but we also have to recognize the crap. And my guest today, Matt Nags, is that guy. So this husband and father of three loves setting ambitious goals to prove that he is capable. When people say that's impossible, well, Matt, he gets excited. He's motivated by his family and his desire to be the best version of himself. Matt hopes to encourage and inspires others by sharing his journey. Let's chat it up with Matt. Thanks so much for being on the show, Matt. We're excited. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me say Matt Nags, he's got this Facebook group running with MS and it's blowing up and I'm not a runner, but I go there for the optimistic outlook. So Matt, can we get to know you a little bit? Will you share your diagnosis story with us? Sure. So I was diagnosed, actually it was in March of 2020. So it was the week the pandemic was starting to shut things down here. You can imagine what that was like. But the path to getting there was, as I've heard from so many other people, not such a clear cut path. It was actually in the summer of 2019 when I started to experience symptoms. And I'd always been a pretty active guy. In fact, back in the early 2000s, I would say I was definitely at risk to not making it to 30 because of how unhealthy I was. I was a sophomore in college, and I remember walking up the stairs to class one day thinking, I'm going to die. Like, I'm so out of shape. I'm going to die. I was about 275 pounds. And I remember my doctor telling me, like, literally, you're not going to make it to 30 unless you get your life in check. So from that point on, I became a very active, healthy person. And I would always fluctuate, go through my ups and downs a little bit, but never got to that point of being as unhealthy as I was in the early 2000s. In the mid-teens, 20-teens, I started taking up running really seriously, started doing some half marathons. And so even into that summer of 2019, I was still exercising a lot and I started noticing things that were just really weird and started to scare me a bit. I remember being in church one day and the lighting had changed a little bit and it made me really dizzy and I felt like completely out of balance and like I couldn't stand. And then I remember having moments of just complete weakness where it was like, I can't walk. I just need to lay down. And for this guy who had been totally active and running and working out and stuff to be like sidelined out of nowhere for seemingly no reason seemed a little bit bizarre. And then in September of 2019, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And so as I've learned now, grief and stress are also triggers for MS symptoms. And I think that's what led to what was likely an MS flare up for me, where I started getting very blurred vision. I was diagnosed with optic neuritis. I had gone to my family doctor multiple times explaining the symptoms I was feeling, the dizziness, the imbalance, the weakness. At this point, I had also begun to have tingling sensations, pins and needles, 
And then he kept on writing it off as grief related, saying you're stressed by the loss of your dad. And uh, you just got to try and get your stress under control and that'll be fine. I kept pushing and uh, eventually he sent me for an MRI just of the brain and came back with nothing. And so he was like, we've checked what we need to check. We'd done all kinds of blood tests and everything as well. And he's like, you're fine. Well, my body was telling me I wasn't fine. Back and forth with my doctor went on over the course of about five months, I'd say, between September and February. And in the meantime, I remember even like how much it was impacting my family life, like trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Because as many with autoimmune diseases can relate, you look fine, right? You look totally fine. So like, you just need to act fine. And I remember like literally being in tears with my wife one night, telling her like, I don't know what's wrong, but I know something is wrong. And I hate that it's impacting our lives, our family. It's keeping me from being able to do the things I want to do. In the meantime, I had also made several visits to the ER because I had moments where my symptoms had gotten so severe. And I think those had triggered some anxiety as well. And each time I went to the ER, the ER doctors would tell me, what you're describing sounds very much like it could be multiple sclerosis, but we don't have a way of diagnosing you here in the ER. So all we can do is check your vitals. We can do an x-ray, see if you've got something wonky going on with your back or something like that, and then encourage you to follow up with your doctor. So I followed up with my doctor when I began to develop Lermit's sign. So in the event People are unaware of what that is. It's when you look down, you get this feeling of electrical shock going through your entire body. And I was very fortunate that the day I went in to meet with my doctor about that, he was not in. And there was like a physician's assistant that was in that day. And I vented to her. I was like, I've been in like five times in the last three months. And I keep hearing this is all grief related. But I really have a hard time believing that when I look down, feeling electrical current going through my body has anything to do with grief. And I almost got the sense that she was like, I might be in trouble for doing this, but I'm going to send you for another MRI. And so we did an MRI of it. Originally, it was the brain. And then we did the upper area of the spine. Next, that's what she sent me for. Again, that one actually came back with nothing, which is at this point, I'm just like, okay, apparently this is my life now and I need to accept this. I was really struggling with that. So I committed myself to super clean eating and exercising. This was in about early January. I was like, look, I'm going to cut out alcohol. I'm going to cut out fried foods, fat foods, processed foods, eat super clean, and hopefully that will help. And I remember running or trying to get back into running, I should say, in mid to late January. And even running, like the Lermits was getting so strong, that feeling of electrical current, where every time it would pulse through my body, I would get weak to where I almost couldn't even stand. So it was like, oh my gosh, what I'm doing is not working, and I'm getting worse. And I became really distraught, upset, I'd say even depressed. And I was just 
trying to muddle my way through at this point because I felt I had exhausted pretty much all my medical options. So as it turned out, early March of 2020, I was up in Detroit for work for a training session. I was going to a week-long training session. And Detroit's about an hour and a half away from where I live. I was nervous about being away, knowing how I had been feeling. But at the same time, I was like, it's only 90 minutes away, not that big of a deal. On the first day of training, I remember trying to walk out of the training room in the hotel, and it felt like I had 100-pound bags on each leg, like I could barely move at all. And I remembered calling a friend of mine. We worked together. In fact, I had hired her and we became very good friends. She had been diagnosed with MS a couple of years before. And we had been talking all throughout this process as well. And she was like, Matt, I know that you've been to the ER before and they haven't told you anything helpful, but go. You can't walk. Like, this is not right. So I went to this ER in a new city where different doctors and apparently different procedures. So that I lucked out with immensely. In the ER, they they told me, same thing I had heard. We can't check you here. We can't diagnose you. But they said, if you would like to try and be seen by a neurologist, we can have you stay overnight and he'll check you out in the morning. And then you can see what your options are. And I'm so glad I did that. My wife had driven up from where we live to Detroit, and we both agreed, hey, it's a chance to find out something. Because I had already been on a wait list to see a neurologist in my hometown, and it was still like four months away from me actually being able to see them. So I was like, oh, I can see a neurologist tomorrow? Yeah, sign me up. The neurologist checks me out and agrees that everything sounds like multiple sclerosis, and he said, I know you've had two MRIs already, but just in case something was missed, let's do a full MRI brain to bottom of the spine and make sure we're looking at everything again. So I did the, it was about a four hour MRI. It was not the high speed ones that I'm accustomed to today by going to the Cleveland Clinic where I'm fortunate to go, but it was a regular MRI. And they had no music either, which was painful. So I was listening to Foo Fighters and Guster albums in my head to try and get through it. And when the neurologist reviewed the results with me, I remember crying and being happy at the same time, which is so odd because it was validation that I wasn't crazy. I have some very large lesions on my spine and a couple in my brain. And the neurologist even told me, he said, Matt, these are old lesions. He said, these have been there. And he said, I I probably shouldn't say this, but they had to have been missed on your previous MRIs because these did not just turn up recently. And uh, he said, we do have to confirm the diagnosis with a spinal tap. And I've heard many people talk about that experience as well. I am allergic to everything that numbs you. So that is not a fun way to get a spinal tap either. In hindsight, I'll tell you that being in a four-hour MRI without music and not being allowed to move might be worse than a spinal tap where you can't get numbed. But that, of course, 
confirmed the diagnosis. And from there, I went to the Cleveland Clinic. And that's where I've been for the last two-ish years now, a little more than two years. And when I first met my neurologist there, I had asked them what my prognosis looks like. And I still was learning about MS and didn't really know a whole lot about what the trajectory looks like. And my neurologist told me at the time, he said, somebody that has the size and amounts of lesions that you have taking up all the prime real estate on your main neural highway, as he called it, neurological highway. He said, I wouldn't be surprised to see you in a wheelchair in five years. And he said, now there's no way I can predict that. Also, you actually have a lot that's within your control as well. And he said, I can make you no guarantees, but the two most important things you can do outside of being on a disease-modifying therapy would be controlling your diet and your exercise. And to me, like being the type A control freak I am, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, yes, I am going to crush this because you're telling me I can do something to control my outcome, then I'm going to do it to the nth degree. Um, that's my MO in life. Oh, th there's an option here and I can control it and watch me. And so I really took it to heart. And at that point, I had struggled so much with my symptoms and whatnot that it was a struggle to even get back into running. So my first time even attempting after I had taken about a three-month hiatus since things had gotten so bad, it was still like I couldn't quite do it, not just because I was no longer in like really good physical condition to be running, but also the symptoms I experienced were still quite strong. I had tingling throughout my legs, numbness, and I could barely walk a mile without having symptoms that were so strong that I had to cool it. But that was a little over two years ago, I'd say at this point, where I went from literally not being able to walk a mile to next month, I'm trying to do a 30 mile run in one day. And I've attempted, I'll say two marathons since being diagnosed. Before being diagnosed, the furthest I had ever done was a half marathon. I had couple of those under my belt. And after being diagnosed, I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't going to let the disease hold me back. It was about six months after my diagnosis, I ran my first half marathon, which was a personal record for me. So better than any halves I had run before diagnosis. And then I did a marathon this past October. Unfortunately, I got injured during that marathon, but I finished, which is maybe more impressive than just running a regular healthy marathon. Um, and unfortunately, similar thing happened this past April where I got injured about two weeks before my marathon, but I still competed and finished that one as well in even better time than my last one. I'm working towards my next marathon and some other exciting races in the future as well. It's really remarkable what you've gone through and that you're still persevering through this whole process to then reach those goals. I have to say kudos because that's pretty unreal. It's also very interesting that you made a lot of lifestyle changes in the past 
And there's a lot of research out there saying that your diet and your movement do impact the prognosis of your MS. And so it's interesting also that you had made all those changes and yet you still were progressing, having symptoms and those kinds of things. So since your diagnosis, I want to know what else have you done that might be different and your DMT decisions and all of that. So since I was diagnosed, now initially my the DMT I was on was Jelenia. And it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice so much as I was offered the opportunity to be in a research program through the Cleveland Clinic where they were randomly selecting one of two pathways for you, either a high-efficacy DMT that is higher risk or a lower-efficacy, low-risk DMT. And so if you agreed to be in the program, you didn't know which one you were going to start with. So I started and was drawn the lower efficacy, lower risk DMT. And part of what they were looking to ascertain through this research is, is it better to start low and then work your way up or to prevent disease progression? Or is it better to start with the strongest drugs instead? And maybe six months into taking that DMT, it's a daily pill my blood pressure had started getting really high. And we thought that it may be related to that DMT. And I met with my neurologist and he said, honestly, I love that you were in this research program. But he said, if it were me choosing for you, I would have put you on Ocrevus. And I was like, well, then that's enough. Let's make that change. And so I switched to Ocrevus and have been on that for the last year and a half now. And since then, no new lesions? So far, that's true. And then outside of DMTs, I've played around quite a bit with different supplements as well, researching supplements that are good neurologically speaking as well. And I've talked with my neurologist about these as well. Like, I'm not a big fan of, hey, I read somewhere once that lion's mane is good, so I'm just going to start taking it, right? I'm the guy who's like, no, I'm an oversharer when it comes to dealing with my neurologist or my doctor. I'm like, let me tell you everything so you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I take calcium, magnesium, CoQ10, turmeric, vitamin D3 is a part of what I'm prescribed anyway. Very important for many of us with MS. And ginkgo biloba for like cognitive reasons as well. So I do a lot of supplements. I also, as I had mentioned before, like I really doubled down on my clean eating. And that's not to say I don't ever allow myself to have pizza or fried food or something like that. But it's usually no more than one or two meals in a row of that, because even just one time of doing it, once your body is accustomed to clean eating, you feel it immediately, which at times is not fun. But other times I'm thankful for that because it's a reminder that I don't want to feel this way. So it's pretty good motivation to keep doing what I'm doing. And then exercise, my main goal is just to be consistent. And I do have my days that are challenging days. Um, I'll say twofold. Challenging from the perspective of I work full time, I've got kids and a wife, and we have life happening. 
So trying to do exercise on some days where yesterday's a good example. I started my workday at 6 a.m. And then after work was done, my daughter had a musical that she was doing and we had to go to that, which is awesome, right? So the only thing I really had time for was running and I only had 23 minutes available. So it was like, okay, let's see if we can do three miles in under 23 minutes, right? Let's make the most of the little bit of time that you've got. But then I also have my bad days in terms of how I'm feeling, where typically I'd say 90% of my days, I feel good. And other than the fact that I'm consciously battling MS in my mind, that's part of my motivation. I forget that I have it because I feel good. But then 10% of the time, I'd say MS has its way of reminding you, hey, I'm here. And lately, because of fighting off some colds and whatnot, it's been reminding me a lot more, unfortunately. And anytime we're sick, usually MS is a little bit more present as well. And so even if I'm feeling weaker or dizzy or imbalanced, I'm constantly evaluating, well, is it safe for me to do something? And that may mean I need to modify what I'm doing on that given day, whether it be you're staying within a half mile of the house for your run and you're going slow. Or when it comes to weightlifting, hey, you're not trying to lift a house today. You're going to lift a third of a house yeah, or whatever it may be, right? But it's not about achieving a certain amount or a certain distance on those days. It's about being able to look at myself honestly and say, did I do the best that I could today? And Oftentimes, I think we compare ourselves to our best on our best days, and that's not always a realistic approach. If you're always comparing today's best to some other best, you're not factoring in the reality of the moment that you're in. So I look at some of my most challenging days, like where I'm struggling to walk or where I'm really weak. Instead of benching 140 pounds, which isn't that impressive anyway, by the way, I only benched like 90 pounds that day. I look at those days as like, that was something to really be proud of because I know that it takes a lot of perseverance and resilience to say, despite how I'm feeling, I'm going to do something and to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I did what I could today, and I know that it truly was the best I could do, that really, I think, can help you to push yourself forward to say, hey, it, it doesn't mean I'm doing nothing, I'm doing something. And also, it's something that I think can really inspire other people too, if you're open about that as well, and say, hey, yeah, I post my good days, here are my bad days too. And it's okay if you have those bad days. Yeah. We're never going to have all good days. It's minute by minute, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that recognizing those bad days, honestly, if everybody was great every single day, I don't know where the courage is in that, I guess. It, mm -hmm. it, it takes the bad day to really see what you're made of and to see if you have that, like your optimism, right? And to see if you have that in you to persevere and be 
what the outcome is, which is hopefully whatever that best is that day. And so how do you maintain that optimism, Matt? I'd say part of it is, yeah, I, sometimes I talk about it as having no plan B, right? If I were to allow myself to live in this dark place of, I have this disease and there's a pre-designated path for my life now, in theory, by the way, that ultimately things aren't going to look the way that maybe I previously wanted them to look. If I allowed myself to live in that space, I would be a pretty miserable human being. And so for me, it's almost like there's just not even an option, even on the bad days or even when things are tough, looking at things and saying, there's something I'm going to be able to take from this and improve myself and my life because of this. That becomes the goal for me. I'm, I'm determined even in my most challenging times to, to find the silver lining. And like, it's almost an assignment I give myself of, <laughs> okay, this is the rough moment. So now what are you going to learn from it? Because I'm telling people all the time that, hey, when you're going through a challenge, that's really an opportunity for you to learn something about yourself, to discover or to improve yourself. And okay, now you've got to put your money where your mouth is. You can't just say it. You've got to do it when it happens to you too. I talk often about finding your why behind what you do. And for me, my most important, my most deeply meaningful why is my family. Long before I had kids, long before I had MS, I always told my wife, I want to be the dad who is fun to play with, playing with the kids. I want to be the dad who, no matter how old he gets, can whip his kids' butts in basketball and soccer. And that hasn't changed for me. Like, I still want to be that dad. And so there are those days where maybe I'm not feeling quite as motivated or feeling quite as capable. And having that why to fall back on is the thing that pushes me on those days. There are other days where it's just become part of my routine and I feel good. So it's like, all right, let's do it. But then there are the days where it is busy, it's stressful, it's hectic, or I don't feel the way I'd like to feel in order to do what I set out to do that day. I want to walk my daughter down the aisle one day. Daughters, I should say, because I've got two girls, one boy. And I do want to be able to, 10 years from now, when my son's in high school, be still playing catch with him or doing whatever it is that he's doing. My wife, when I was diagnosed, said to me, one of her biggest fears is that we won't be able to dance together anymore. And I don't want that fear to come to fruition as much as I do, it's those things that motivate me to keep doing them with the hope that what I'm doing is paying off. And there's no way to know. And in hindsight, maybe I'll be able to know and look back and say, yep, that did pay off. But as of this moment, I'm doing what I believe to be the best possible combination of things to give me the best chance at having the best possible outcome. And I think that 
perspective is so valuable and finding that why. Sometimes our why is based in fear too. Like my fear is this. And so my why is to not get to that place. And it's interesting the different perspective that allots as well. And I think about your wife and saying, I'm fearful that I'm not going to be able to dance with my husband. And the reality is we need to make the most of our present circumstance. So Mm -hmm. say, for example, one day there is a mobility device in your future. You're in the wheelchair. What does dancing look like at that point? You're still going to be able to dance. It just might be different. And Mm -hmm. so we evolve in our present circumstance. But if you have that optimism that you seem to have, Matt, in, in the back of your mind and you're finding your why and looking toward that, I don't see anything that's ever going to stop you from living that best life. So tell us, Matt, about running with MS, that Facebook group. What is that for you? So it was, I don't know, maybe June. Yeah, June of 2020. So not too far after I had been diagnosed. One of the first things I started doing when I was diagnosed was looking for support groups. And you know, now there are so many out there. And at the time, the ones that I were finding were not what I needed. They were, my life is over and this is miserable and it never gets better. And you mentioned at the start of this podcast, you've got to surround yourself with the people that are the types of people that are going to encourage you and motivate and inspire you. That's one of the things that optimists do. And as much as my heart went out to these other people that were saying these things in these groups, I knew that for me, that was not healthy because that could take me to that dark place that I didn't want to be in, that I had worked hard to get out of, actually. And um, so I said, you know, I don't know what's going to come of it, but I'd like to start a group that is really optimistic and that focuses on running, which has now morphed into activity, I'll say, where we have some people who are more bikers or that that do other incredible things, which really it's more so about focusing on what we can do instead of worrying about what one day maybe we can't do or focusing on what we couldn't do today, let's say. So I've been so happy that the group has really, and I don't even know how it's happened, um, but it's really adopted, I'll say, the overall mindset that I had too of, I don't want this to be a place for woe is me. And it's okay to have those moments, but the purpose of the group is really to motivate and encourage and inspire one another to say, hey, here's what I'm challenged with, but look at what I'm doing in spite of all that. Or we've got people doing incredible things in this group. We've got this guy in Ireland who next month is running the entire length of Ireland in 10 days. It's like over 300 miles. And this is a guy with MS. He's on Okravis, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, this guy is doing incredible things. It's like, you can't not be inspired. I know that's a double negative, but it felt appropriate <laughs> in the moment. 
You can't not be inspired by somebody doing something like that. And at the same time, seeing a post from someone who's saying, hey, it's taken me six months to get to the point of feeling like I can go out and try and run. And today I did it. Like, to me, it warms my heart to see that. Like, I've had times where I've actually cried seeing what someone has posted or a group member has shot me a private message saying, hey, I know I don't post often, but I just want to thank you so much for what's going on in this group because it's helped me in this way. I had decided early on that it was like, if I'm going to go on this journey of fighting MS, um, then I shouldn't be secretive about it because I'm a very open person and I like people. I like trying to encourage and inspire people. And so I said, hey, if I can reach one other person and really help encourage them and make a difference for them, then it'll be worth it. And today the group has around 330 members from all over the world. About 80% of them are people with MS. Uh, the remainder are supporters of us, loved ones, spouses, friends. And it's just such an encouraging and uplifting group. It's incredible. And I'm honored and humbled to have been a part of it and to even be able to say I created it. I don't feel like it's my group, so to speak. It has become our group and it's filled with incredible people. You know, Matt, I don't know about you, but I feel like when you share your truth and then you get that back from other people and how they feel about it, it's pretty empowering. And instead of hiding and, and being secretive about what you're going through and sharing it with others, um, everybody benefits. And some people aren't comfortable, like that person that DM'd you. I don't post a lot. I'm not that type of person, but this is so meaningful to me. And the fact that they were able to reach out to you in that way, too, it's got to touch your heart a bit. It absolutely does. And that's why I try and post quite a bit about not just, hey, I crushed it today, because not every day is about crushing it. Some days are a struggle. I mentioned yesterday the very short time window I had to run. In addition to only having 23 minutes to run, I had a lot of symptoms going on yesterday. I had tingling pins and needles. I had burning sensation going on. I had my left eye twitches like quite a lot sometimes. And then also had weird sensation I like to call phantom wetness, where it feels like someone has dumped water on you and there's no water anywhere. I posted about that when I posted about my run saying, look, here's what I felt today. But I went through my evaluation of, is it safe for me to continue to run? My balance wasn't so bad that I shouldn't be running. So I'm okay there. Then next, are my symptoms too severe for me to run? No, I can handle this amount. I'm going to continue to do it. I try and post some guidelines that I use for myself because I know before I understood what was going on with my body and how MS worked, feeling those things was something that prevented me from even trying. I would say, oh my gosh, I feel tingling or I'm a little shaky today. I'm just not going to do anything. And everyone has to do what works for them. Everyone has to learn 
how their body responds to things. So for me, sharing at least what my process looks like, I hope might help other people to find something that works for them too, rather than just saying, I can't. To me, can't is like one of those, I don't know, it's almost like nails on a chalkboard. And this is going to be one of those things that sounds like toxic positivity. But I tell people, I'm like, you're spelling that wrong. You got to remove the apostrophe and the T because often can't is truly just in our mind. And it's us saying something else. I don't see myself doing that for this reason. Okay, what can you do? Because what started out for most of us, maybe all of us can't, became something we could do at many points in our lives, right? There were so many, heck, when you were a baby, Edie, you couldn't walk, right? Couldn't, but you've worked your way up to it. And that's often my mindset of, here's this goal that I've set for myself. And today, maybe it's not something that's within my reach, but I've got milestones that I'm going to work towards. Everybody thinks that progress is like this upward like progression of constantly getting better. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. And what can happen is the first setback we experience, we're like, okay, nope, I guess I was right. I can't. I'm going to tell you that if you take that setback and say, okay, there's something I can learn from that, and I'm going to keep pushing forward, then you're more likely to surprise yourself than to disappoint yourself. And heck, even if you don't achieve the goal that you've set out for yourself, at least having that mindset of saying, I can at least try, is going to give you resilience and determination and teach you that you're capable of so much more than you might have given yourself credit for beforehand. I so hear that, Matt. And there's days when it feels like this isn't going to work out. But just Mm -hmm. because I'm not in the physical capability of doing this today, I can do this instead. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same, but it will also lift me up. So today there's not a run, but I am going to meditate for the 30 minutes or 23 minutes as much Mm -hmm. as I have because that meditation tomorrow will enable me to do the run the next day. Mm -hmm. Having that mindset is so, so important. So from constantly battling MS in your mind, did I do the best that I could today? Did I do my personal best? Consider the moment's reality. What are you facing right now? Don't worry about plan B. Don't think about plan B. We're on plan A right now. Stick to it. Don't live in the negative space. Find the silver lining. Sometimes we got to look for it and it might not be where we intended it to be. It could be somewhere else, but we need to keep searching for it. Challenges are opportunities. Keep learning about yourself. Find your why. Find that why, whether it be family like Matt, or whatever that why might be, find it, know it, and live into it. Focus on what we can do. Don't be secretive. Share your journey. Know your body. 
recognize those limitations and then learn how your body responds to things. So we're not continually saying we can't because we need to wipe that word out and keep trying. Matt, you have been a plethora of wonderful today. Thank you so, so much for being here with your optimistic self. Please share with the listeners where they can find you. So on Facebook, if you're interested in joining our group, it's called Running With MS. It is a private group. So you'll have a couple of questions to answer before joining. And then you can also find me on Instagram. It's Running With MS underscore official. And there, in addition to running, I post a bit more, I'd say, of other exercise and activities and sometimes diet-related things as well. So the Facebook group tends to be mostly running-related, and Instagram is running plus, I would say. And Matt shares those ups and downs that he has with everyone, and he doesn't sugarcoat it. And I just love that about you, Matt. And we all now in listening to your story, we know that you've faced those tough things. We know that those things could have continued to be that dark, depressive state. And you have just done so much and shared so much of yourself with us to help us not be there too. So stop saying can't, you guys. We can do it. We can. Everybody, if you want to learn more about your core values and find out your why, please head over to the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you're going to find some resources and definitely some links that you can get to Matt. If you can't remember from the show, just head on over to the website and we'll get you all that good information. Thanks so Matt for being here again and keep thriving. Thanks, Edie. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.